Thank you for taking the time to listen to this sermon from Seekers Christian Fellowship. We believe that God's Word completes the believer, making them fully equipped men and women of God, ready for every good work. It is our prayer that through this message, you're challenged by the Word of God, built up in love for God and one another, conforming to the image of Jesus Christ. Once again, I just want to greet everybody, and, uh, and I'm glad that you are able to join uh, us this morning, and especially most of you who have joined online. You know, recently I went to a restaurant that I never went before, and I asked the server about the food, and she encouraged me to order a special food platter, and I did. And let me show you what it is. And, uh, you know, it was a plate of food samples. And just tasting one bit at a time, I was able to get the gist of what is to come. It was only to whet my appetite that this was brought. And having tasted it, now I was ready and thrilled to order what I loved most. And I knew what was coming. It really stimulated me. Uh, in me, a voracious appetite. So church, this morning, as we gather together, I just want to share that food platter with you, with my church family. I'm not going to give you a main meal, but I just want to whet your appetite. So today, we are launching a new series, and uh, we'll be looking our way through the gospel according to Apostle John. I must tell you that preparing a sermon from a particular text is much easier, or I would say easier, than preparing a sermon on an overview of a book. I do hope that I would be able to help you to get a glimpse of what this book is all about today, an aerial view of the gospel in just 40 minutes. That's what I'm trying to do today. And I do hope I can cause that voracious appetite in you today, so that you will dive in deeper in the days to come. So the gospel according to John. So before we get ahead of ourselves, and we should talk about what the word gospel actually means. Now the word itself comes from a Greek word. It's called the evangelion, which literally means good news. So what is the good news? And we looked at it recently in our church, so I'm not going to go into much details, but let me refresh your mind right now. We are looking at Apostle Paul writing to the saints in Corinth. In the 15th chapter, verse 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel. There it is. I declare to you the gospel. And in verses 3 and 4, Paul goes on to explain what that is. For I delivered to you, first of all, that which I also received, that is the gospel he's talking about, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that Christ was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. So in the New Testament, the good news refers to the announcement that Jesus has brought the reign of God to our world through His life, death, and resurrection, 
from the dead. So this is the crux of the gospel that we see in the New Testament. There are four books of the New Testament that are known as the gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. But church, let me begin by saying it is wrong for us to say that there are four gospels. There is only one gospel that is shared by four authors. So next time when you are referring to the gospels, you mustn't say Matthew's gospel or John's gospel. You must say it's gospel according to Matthew or gospel according to Mark or gospel according to Luke or gospel according to John. So you ask the question, then pastor, why do we have four books in the New Testament called the Gospels rather than one, if the Gospel is one? The four Gospels were written to cover four aspects of the life and ministry of the Lord Jesus Christ. So each Gospel writer wrote from a different perspective to a different audience. They each looked at the character of Jesus from different angles. So Mark, uh, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels. The word synoptic means presenting the same view because they have much that is similar, although each has a slightly different uh, slant. Matthew, one of the twelve, wrote primarily to the Jews. And he is emphasizing that Jesus Christ is the King of Israel. Then Mark, the shortest gospel, probably wrote from Rome under Peter's influence to the Gentile converts. And he emphasizes Jesus as the Son of God who came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Now the book of Luke, the longest book in the New Testament by volume, was written by a physician who was a work associate of Apostle Paul, who also wrote the book of Acts. His gospel is aimed at Gentiles, and it emphasizes Jesus Christ's humanity. Now we're coming to the gospel according to John. Now this was written by John. He's a writer of the fourth book. He was an eyewitness to the life of Jesus. His purpose was to establish the fact that Jesus was the eternal God who became a man. So that we are clear, the gospel is one. There are no four gospels. We have four people found it necessary to tell the story of Jesus from four different perspectives. So in summary, it's a very important fact for us to get. Each gospel was written for a different group of people by a different author who was trying to accomplish a different purpose. They are not merely historical chronicles. That means they are not just historical records, but also a narrative's announcement that make the significant claim that Jesus is the Messiah of Israel. He is the Lord of the world. That is what the Gospels are trying to, Gospel is trying to uh, achieve by these four, four books that we see. Church, I want you to also note that when we talk about the word gospel, it is interchangeably used by many different people. One is the gospel that I just explained from the book of uh, Corinthians. But when you talk about gospel in loose terms, it may be referring to the book as a whole, like a Matthew or Mark or Luke 
or John. Just, just so that you don't get confused when the term is being used. So our focus over the months to come will be on the gospel according to John. If you recall, church, when the Lord met with the disciples in Caesarea Philippi, He asked a very crucial question. This is what He asked. He asked, but who do you say that I am? I'm sure you remember this. And on that occasion, Peter, by divine revelation, he answered this. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. I just want to pause there for a moment. Who do you say that I am? And here's Peter, by divine revelation, speaking or proclaiming, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. So church, hear me out now. If Jesus is who the Bible portrays him to be, and he, who claimed to be, that is the Christ Messiah, the Son of the living God, then is the only sensible thing for us to do is to trust him as our Savior, who can redeem us from our sin and judgment, and to follow him as our Lord. Simple as that. Does it make sense what I'm saying, church? And why shouldn't we do that? If he is not, just for the sake of argument, who the Bible portrays him to be, then you and I are wasting our time being a Christian because we'll then be following a fictional character. It's an important distinction for us to get. So church, who do you say that I am is a crucial question to every believer. To every believer. So let me ask you, those who are seated here and those who are watching online, and give me the true answer. Who do you say Jesus is for you? Now you might wonder, Pastor, this is great, but what has this got to do with the Gospel of John? That's a question that even I would ask if I'm listening to me speaking on this. The Apostle John, perhaps thinking of Peter's confession, when he told us why he wrote this gospel. Let's look at the passage here. The key text for today is taken from here. Follow with me as I read this. John chapter 20, verses 30 to 31. And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe in what? That Jesus is the Christ who the Son of God. And that believing you may have what? Life in His name. So John is in essence making the similar statement to that that we find in the book of Mark. But exactly what Peter declared. He wants you to believe specifically that Jesus is the Christ, the Jewish Messiah, the Anointed One. And John wants you to believe that Jesus is the Son of God, which means He is God in human flesh. So usually we approach the Bible by studying a selected portion of text. That's how we normally do our Bible studies or our preaching. But I just, today I just want to look at the macro picture first before we go into the micro, we'll better see the beauty and significance of John's gospel if before we go into the texts in detail, and we're going to do that over the, over the months to come, 
we stand back and look at the whole gospel and see the plan John has followed in writing his gospel. So to understand John's gospel, we need to first see the plan he has in mind. So as I said before we dive into this key text, which I'll be coming back, let me give you an overview of this gospel. I refer to the gospel of John. Church, you don't have notes from me. It's important that you have some notebooks that you can take down notes as we go through this. And it's always available online if ever you want to go back and visit because I'm going to bombard you with a lot of information that might be helpful for you to have a big picture view of the Gospel of John. The Gospel of John is a selective, symbolic eyewitness of the person and ministry of Jesus. It is written, as I said before, so that you may believe in Him, every one of you, as, Christ, as the Christ, the Son of God, and have life in His name. You know, there's, here's how one theologian put about the Gospel of John. He says, the Gospel of John is like a pool in which both a child can wade and an elephant can swim. Beautiful way of saying that. Is a pool, the child can wade, and an elephant can swim. It's simple and profound. So on one level, a child can easily understand John 3.16. For God so loved the world, and we learned it when we were in the Sunday school, if you recall. But on another level, there are scholarly articles that were written, and people were really wrestling with some of the issues in the book of John. So wherever you are spiritually, there'll be something for you in this book. Church, let me start with this. If you never investigated who Jesus is and put your trust in him, this gospel is written for you. If you have never understood who Jesus is, this gospel is written for you so that you will believe and have eternal life. If you are a new Christian, there is much in this gospel that's going to strengthen your faith. But if you, are, if you have been a Christian for many years, there are deep pools for you to dive into. This gospel was written about 80, or 80 AD or 90, early 90 80s, and most likely John knew at this time the other three gospels. What I'm referring to is the Mark and John, Mark and uh, Matthew and Luke. So he did not feel the need to duplicate what they had written. So as a result of that, the scholars, when he studied uh, fact, is that John has, the Gospel of John has, 93% original material in comparison to the Synoptic Gospels. Here are some of the highlights. Come along with me, please. John begins in eternity identifying Jesus as God and Creator. Secondly, there is no mention of Jesus' birth, His baptism, or His temptation. Number three, there is no list of the twelve disciples in the book of John. Number four, there are no stories of Jesus casting out demons. Number five, there are no parables 
There's only a metaphor of a good shepherd in chapter 10. And number five, John tells us that he saw Jesus' glory in 114, but he does not. But he does not, church, as you go through this, does not mention the transfiguration, even though he was one of the three eyewitnesses of it. And number five, you can see that John, John includes Jesus' promise that he's preparing a place for you, John 14, that if he prepares a place for you, he's going and he's going to come back and take you to, for you to be with him. Uh, but he omits, on the same token, he omits Jesus' lengthy prophetic discourses that you find in the other Gospels. Now, John also gives us the longest and most detailed account of events in the upper room on the night Jesus was betrayed. But... He never mentions the Lord's Supper. And he doesn't tell us about Jesus' agony in the garden. And although John's records shows the, the conversation that the risen Christ had with Mary and telling her that he will ascend to the Father, what you don't see, there is no account of Jesus' ascension in this book. Some of the features that are unique to John includes this. As you look at this, the John's direct assertion that Jesus is the eternal God who created all things. Unique to the John's gospel. John alone says that Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. John tells that tells us of the first miracle of turning water into wine. Next, John alone includes the interviews with Nicodemus and the woman at the well. And John tells us of the healing the nobleman's son, the lame man by the pool of Bethsaida, and the man born blind. John alone records Jesus' raising of Lazarus from the dead. John tells of the washing the disciples' feet and his teaching in the upper room where he gives the promise of the coming of the Holy Spirit. And John records the longest prayer of Jesus. John tells us about Thomas's doubt and the disciples' encounter with the risen Lord on the beach in Galilee. And John carefully chooses all these events and much more to give us this selective insider's portrait of our Savior. Church, in the pages of this wonderful book, The Gospel According to John, we see a side of Christ that the other Gospels writers do not touch on. So in this Gospel, John gives us, there are 21 blessed chapters that we see. And each, as each chapter unfolds, it presents a new facet of Jesus' divine character. Every chapter. And there was one theologian, he highlighted the portraits of Jesus in every chapter this way. I'll go through that very quickly with you. Please follow along. In chapter 1, Jesus, the Word of God. Chapter 2, Jesus, the Son of Man. Chapter 3, Jesus, the divine teacher. 
Then the chapter 4, the soul winner. Chapter 5, the great physician. Chapter 6, the bread of life. Chapter 7, the fountain of living water. Chapter 8, the sympathetic savior. Chapter 9, the, the, good, uh, sorry, the light of the world. Chapter 10, the good shepherd. Chapter 11, the resurrection and the life. Chapter 12 is the king. Chapter 13 is the humble servant. Chapter 14 is the great encourager. Chapter 15, the true wine. Chapter 16, the gift, great gift giver. Chapter 17, the great high priest. The chapter 18, the model sufferer. Chapter 19, the crucified king. The chapter 20, the resurrected redeemer. And chapter 21, the friend of the fallen. Wow. What a view of John's gospel. Just a quick tour of us. I just wanted to get an aerial picture, aerial view. I know it's hard to comprehend everything, and trust me, over the months, we are going to break every one of these statements down into details. Now let me get back to the key text that I spoke about. Let's dive in, and please come along with me. Let's go slowly on this. This is the key text for today. And truly, Jesus did. What did he do? What did he do? John says that truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written. Why were they written? And he gives the reason that you may believe, every one of you, you may believe in what? That Jesus is the Christ, who he is the Son of God, and that believing you may have what? Life in his name. Just looking at this text, it gives us the reason why Apostle John wrote this gospel. There are three things that I can observe in this verse. In this text, Jesus is telling the readers that you and I, that Jesus, sorry, John is telling the re readers that Jesus did many signs. That's the first thing that we see here in this passage. At least, that's what I'm taking. Number two, it says, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And number three, I see here, Jesus gives life by believing in Him. These are the three key points that I see in this particular text. There might be others, but let us focus on this very briefly. I hope you are with me, church. Let us break it down now, the lessons we learn from the overview of the Gospel of John. So the firstly, Jesus did many signs. Have you noticed that rather than referring to Jesus' miracles or wonders, the terms that are commonly used by the other Gospel writers... John calls them signs. Look at this verse here. Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples. Church, what is a sign? What is a sign? A sign points to something beyond itself. That's what a sign is. We have road signs as we go. It points to something beyond itself. So John wants us to perceive the deeper meaning behind the miracles itself. That is why John is calling signs 
and not miracles. That's why he's calling that way. So in order for us to understand this text that we see in chapter 20, we need to understand the context of chapter 20. So I'm going to encourage all of you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 20. And here's the context. The risen Christ had just shown himself to his disciples and to Thomas also. And Thomas had said he could not believe in Jesus unless he could see the nail prints in Jesus' hand. Do you remember that? That's what Thomas said. I'm not going to believe you. I'm paraphrasing. I need to see those wounds, those marks in your hand. Here's what you see. In John chapter 20, verse 27. Then Jesus, then he said to Thomas, that is Jesus said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here. Put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. That's what Thomas says. John doesn't stop there. He goes on to verse 29. Look at what, what happens. Then Jesus said, now Jesus is talking to Thomas, Jesus is talking to the disciples and making a very strong statement which is applicable to you and I. Thomas, you have, because you have seen me, you have believed. You saw me, you wanted a proof, and you believed when I showed the proof. And then I believe when Jesus made the second part of the statement, He's looking down through the centuries and he's talking to you and me, church. And he's saying this, blessed are those who have not seen, yet have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. So in these verses, as we look at this church, John says that he had chosen and written certain signs among those done by Jesus. Why? Because we too may believe and we would acknowledge with Thomas and we would say, my Lord and my God. That is the motive, that is the goal of Apostle John in writing this gospel. Here John wanted his readers to come to a fuller understanding of the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. John did not set out his set out like Matthew, Mark, and Luke and tell the story in order of time of the sea, of the events of Jesus' life on earth. He wrote with a different plan. He chose, believe it or not, of all the miracles, John chose only seven miracles. And from among many performed by Jesus, and he calls his seven miracles signs. In calling them signs, Jesus is, John is telling us that there is a me meaning is something beyond themselves. Something beyond themselves. To a church to understand John's gospel, we need to trace, those, trace through those seven miracles or seven signs. In studying these seven signs, we observe all the events and teachings of Jesus which John records 
either lead up to one of these signs or they are developed out of one of these signs. Let me repeat that. All the teachings, all the events with John records either lead up to one of the signs or they develop out of one of the signs. So if we do that diligently and if we truly can understand and comprehend these seven signs, we too will be like Thomas. We'll echo with him, acknowledging Jesus as a personal Lord and Savior, and we say, my God and my Lord. One theologian put it this way about the seven signs. He said these seven signs are like the rungs of the ladder, which lead upward to faith in Jesus as Savior and God. And we'll see how each successive sign builds further truth upon the preceding signs. For the curious mind, let, uh, let me give you a quick review, overview of these seven signs. I will also highlight a brief summary of John's seven signs and their significance as I display them. So come along with me, please. The seven signs. Number one, turning water into wine. We have that in the, in the second chapter. It talks about the, Jesus is the Lord of nature. He is able to change one substance into another. Number two, the healing of the nobleman's son, John chapter 4. Jesus is the Lord of life. He is able to give life on the one condition of faith and faith alone. Number three, Jesus, the healing of the paralyzed man. Jesus is the restorer of lost powers. No matter how sinful we are, He is able to give life to the spiritually dead. Number four, the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus is the food by which we live. He is able to sustain the spiritual life He creates. He not only creates, gives us life, He is able to sustain it our spiritual lives. Number five, the walking on the water. Jesus is our guide and helper. He is able to come to his disciples. You didn't have to go to him. He came to the disciples. No barriers can keep him away from his disciples in their times of need. No barriers is going to keep Jesus away from you and I. In times of need. The walking on the water. Number six. The healing of the blind man. Jesus is our light. He enables every person who is obedient to what he knows of Christ to find still greater truths. But whoever refuses to obey will have his present knowledge even taken away, church. He is our light. Number seven. The last one. The raising of Lazarus. Jesus is the Lord of eternal life. His gift of life does not end with death of the physical body. There is hope for believers. Eternal life. So as we trace through these seven miracles, we observe that they are progressive signs. These seven miracles which Jesus made to prove to all who are not willfully blind, 
If you are willfully blind, Jesus is not going to force himself into your life. But if you are not willfully blind, church, that he is the author and giver of life. That's what Jesus is trying to show. And that all our hopes and aspirations of eternal life are met in Jesus Christ. And he and he alone can save us. So whoever reads John's gospel with an honest, open mind as we go through the studies, following John's development of the lessons of the servant signs, you will certainly join with Thomas and acknowledge, my Lord and my God. My Lord and my God. So let me present these servant signs in a manner that you can comprehend that easily. The Lord of nature. He is the Lord of life. He is the Lord who restores. He is the Lord who provides. He is the Lord who guides and helps. He is the Lord of life. Light. He is the Lord of eternal life. It gives you in a progressive nature of where you start and where you end. Church, believing in Jesus because of these seven signs. With Thomas, but we are not going to ask questions. Show us a sign, God. We will be falling before him and declaring with our mouths, my Lord and my God. But the beauty is this. We are not like Thomas. We are going to ask the Lord for evidence and proofs. Hear me, church. We shall find the blessing Jesus promised. We saw that passage earlier. He said in John 20, 29, Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. You and I, as we go through this study on the book of John, on the gospel of John, when these signs are being taught to us, and as we go through verse by verse, and we do an expository teaching and, and studying on the Word, and as it has been revealed to us who our God is, and when we, along with Thomas, that we echo, my Lord and my God, we are, from the Lord's own mouth, a blessed people. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. So that is about the signs. Let's get back to the text that we looked at earlier. From this text, I told you we make three observations. Number one is Jesus' many signs. The second thing that we are seeing here is that John wants us to know that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's what he wants us to know. So, in other words, Jesus is the unseen God. That's what John, so follow the logic here, can come with me carefully, church, as John develops this thinking. In John 1.14, John declares, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So John declaring here, the word became flesh. John 1.18 No one has seen God at any time. The only begotten Son who is in the bosom of the Father, He has declared Him. Then look at verse, chapter 14, verse 9. Jesus tells Philip, Jesus said to him, 
Have I been with you so long, and yet you have not known me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. He who has seen me has seen the Father. So what do we see here in these passages that I just directed you? John wants us to know that in Jesus, we see the unseen God. That's what John wants us to know. Thirdly, finally, let's look at the, go back to the passage again. From this text, I said there are three observations. Number one is about the signs. Number two is about the Son of God. Number three is, John says, that believing you may have life in His name. Jesus gives life by believing. That's what he says here, the last part of that statement, that believing you may have life in his name. So John wants his readers to know that who Jesus is and to believe in him as he is. So why should you believe in him? Jesus gives the answer. John, Sorry, John gives the answer. John 3.16, our famous verse. We started off with, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him, you see the word again here, whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting, eternal life. So the result of believing in Jesus as the Christ, the Son of God, is that you will have life in His name. By life, John means eternal life. Church, please hear me out. Since the alternative to eternal life is what? Eternal judgment, eternal condemnation, eternal death. It is crucial that you know who Jesus is, that you put your trust in Him as your Savior and the Lord. So as I close this, you may ask, Pastor, I get it. I get the overview of the Gospel of John. But what do you want me to do in light of knowing Jesus? What do you want me to do, Pastor, now? I got it. I got it. I got the picture. So the Gospel according to John is useful for leading lost people to Jesus. I walked you through the signs. I showed you. Through the robust theological reflection, and as you engage in the narrative of the book, the John's Gospel, he introduces readers first and foremost to a person, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who alone is able to bestow eternal life. He alone can do it. That is salvation, church. That is salvation. Now, you might say, yes, pastor, I have got it. I am a child of God. Now what do I do? So not only this, this study on the Gospel of John is going to lead you to Christ, but those who are in Christ, there is a responsibility that you have, church. Every one of you, none exempted. The second reason why what this John's gospel will do to us, it will unleash God's people on mission. On mission. Two statements from Jesus in the fourth gospel are sufficient to ignite the church on mission. Ignite every one of you. 
I'm talking to every one of you who belong to the Seekers Christian Fellowship. Every one of you, you claim to be a believer. Every one of you call yourself a Christian. There is a responsibility that be, that's bestowed upon you. If you are not fulfilling that responsibility, church, you cannot call yourself a Christian. You cannot. You are a namesake Christian. Here's what the Lord says. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he, also, he will also do... He will do also, excuse me, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And then he says in John 20, 21, so Jesus said to them, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Church, we are not only the beneficiaries of the mission of God in Christ, but we are active participants as well. Every one of us. Just as the Father sent the Son on a victorious mission of redemption, so Jesus is sending every one of us out to continue His work on earth. Every one of you. Of course, we are promised trials and tribulations as we go through that, but we also have the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is in us, which is going to guide us and make us victorious. So as I close this introduction this morning, here's what I want to leave this thought with you, church. What a great encouragement for us, this passage. It's not only to engage our identity in Christ, but in doing so, we are called to engage in the mission of God. So church, those who are listening online, those who are seated here, if you have not accepted Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, I pray that as we go through the study of the book of John, that you will be convicted and you will be like Thomas, that you will declare, my Lord and my God. To those of you who call yourself Christians who have committed your life to the Lord, I pray that today is the day that you make a decision and you seek out, Pastor, how do I serve the Lord in this church? What should I be doing knowing very well that you have been called to do the work of the Lord? Can I leave the challenge with you, church, as we begin this new series, the study of the Gospel of John? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this time that you gave us to be able to have the aerial view of the Gospel of John. And we understand as we go through that, Apostle John is using every chapter to reveal to us the different portraits of Jesus, showing us that He is the Son of God. He is the Lord of the earth, Lord of this world. And that, Father, He was sent with a mission a mission to save us and to give us new identity in Christ. And I thank you for that gift of salvation to every one of us. And I pray that if there's anyone who is listening to this message today, he or she has not committed his or her life to you, I pray that the conviction will come upon their lives and they would do that. And those who have already committed and calling ourselves as believers, 
I pray, God, that we are challenged today to engage in the mission of God. That we'll ask ourselves, what am I doing with myself for gospel advance, uh, advancement? I pray that we'll make new decisions today, God, to be engaged in the mission of God. We pray that you'll help us, Master, to achieve this goal. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.